And uh, good to be home. We uh, spent the weekend, uh, I was preaching in a uh, youth lectureship type thing in Colorado. And uh, we had a good, uh, good weekend and uh, enjoyed being with those brethren to the extent that we could because, of course, there are some uh, restrictions with the virus and everything. Uh, but glad to be home and glad to be uh, back here where, uh, I guess, in this empty building as opposed to other empty buildings. Uh, but uh, looking forward to seeing all of you, uh, Lord willing, on Sunday. I also wanted to, to mention um, that uh, keep the Barranco family in your prayers as, uh, as Braxton is planning on shipping out uh, tomorrow. Uh, to go to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, so be thinking of them, both uh, Braxton and the things he's going to be facing, and uh, uh, praying for strength for him, and also for uh, the rest of the family that's going to be separated from him. That's uh, that's certainly uh, something that we need to be uh, talking to God about. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, it says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So last week we began a study of this verse, and we talked about this first phrase, admonish the idle. And we talked about the danger of laziness in physical things and in spiritual things. And we talked about Paul's solution to the problem, which was these people need to be admonished. They need to be warned. And that's a a community responsibility that we all have to make sure that we are all living in the Christian way. And that's not the way of taking advantage of others and uh, living lazy. But This verse teaches us more. In fact, there's a little more we're going to study tonight. We're going to continue studying it throughout the month of June, Lord willing. The key insight, and I mentioned this last week, the key insight of this verse is that we need to be able to discern between different groups of people and where people are and then tailor our approach to where they are. That there are some states people can get into where it's not fitting to treat them in a way that might be natural to us. Not every disobedience is an act of rebellion, nor does it deserve the strong admonition that he talks about with those who are idle. And not every rebellious person needs to be coddled or encouraged. And so we need the ability to discern between those two things and then act accordingly. And so that becomes especially relevant in what we're going to talk about tonight, which is the idea of encouraging the faint-hearted. That's the second phrase there in verse 14, encourage the faint-hearted. So what I want to do is just spend some time thinking about what is Paul meaning when he says encourage the faint-hearted. I want to start by asking the question, what does faint-hearted look like? Different versions have different uh, renderings for this word faint-hearted. The NIV has disheartened. Uh, The King James, the old King James says feeble-minded. And that's not really what we're going for in terms of, uh, you know, someone's not very intelligent. Uh, The idea is of someone who is and their heart is struggling. Uh, The message has uh, gently encouraged the stragglers. Uh, Some versions have timid. But the word literally means, the word faint-hearted literally means short of breath. People who have little life or little spirit in them. And the concept here is that they've lost their motivation. So we would say, in in our modern terms, we would just say they are discouraged. So what does it look like when someone is faint-hearted? How are we going to know this when we see it? I want to take a, a moment and kind of think through some situations that the New Testament describes and also that we see of when and why people might become faint-hearted or discouraged. Uh, the first is that sometimes faint-hearted just looks like being tired. Sometimes the obligations of living as a Christian just kind of wear us out. So we get tired of serving other people or we get tired of fighting the world 
We get tired of seeing people doing evil. We get tired of things never changing for the better. It feels like things should be getting better, but they're not, whether that's in our lives or in our families or in broader society. We get tired of trying to hold the line against our kids. You know, there's just so, only so many times where we can be the boundaries that our kids butt their heads against, and we, it wears us out. Sometimes it's that we get tired of trying to do right in our workplaces, and people around us are, are constantly fighting us. And in my experience, uh, this kind of weariness really crystallizes when there's some dramatic event, something that's uh, like the straw that broke the camel's back. And it just sort of says, okay, I I was already struggling, but this just put me over the top. So maybe that's someone, you know, there's some kind of excessive, egregious sin, some kind of scandal. And so we're so disheartened at that that it, it sort of compounds with the exhaustion. And we just say, well, I'm just ready to give up. Or maybe it's some excessive demand. Somebody makes one more demand on us and we're already maxed out. And so we say, you know what? That's it. So this is Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3. We actually read this passage last week. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And you see in that statement the implication that we're going to be tempted to get tired in our well-doing. So when we're in that position... The temptation is for us to just walk away and give up on serving Jesus. And Paul says, be careful, don't grow weary in doing good. That is one aspect of being faint-hearted. So what would that look like? If you and I saw someone who was faint-hearted because they got tired, it might look like someone who just slowly begins to withdraw from ordinary spiritual activities. So that means that we might not see them at services very often or Bible studies, or social events with other Christians. And maybe we reach out to them and they don't respond, or they only respond reluctantly in a shallow surface kind of way. Or they may come and be present bodily but mentally there elsewhere. Or sometimes it may just be that we ask them and they tell us outright, look, I'm just worn out. This is how I'm feeling. But that absence, and this is the important thing I want to say here, that absence, that weariness, it's not an act of rebellion. It's not as if they're saying, I don't care about Jesus anymore. I don't want to do what's right anymore. I just want to go do what's wrong. They're not angry. They're not frustrated. They're just tired. And for those people, Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted. Another way this might look is the idea of doubting. Sometimes we begin to question about the truth of Scripture or something to do with our faith, the reality of God. And in my experience, those kinds of doubts very rarely occur in a vacuum. That we're just sitting around and we're reading scripture and everything's going great. And suddenly there is a a pressing doubt. Instead, it comes because maybe we have a relationship with someone who is asking questions we don't know how to answer. They're prodding us and pushing us about our faith. Or maybe we have an experience where we can't reconcile the experience with our understanding of God and scripture. And so we begin to worry. You know, this happens when some kind of tragedy occurs and people begin to ask questions about why God would allow this or how God could do this. And so the experience pressures us and we begin to doubt. Or sometimes we have something we'd really like to do or really like to believe, but we don't believe it could be reconciled to Scripture. So we start to re-examine Scripture and maybe even doubt Scripture because there's some motivation we have to want to do something else. But whatever the exact cause... This is a reality among Christians, and from time to time we come in contact with our own doubts and with others who doubt. So 
This is Jude 22 and 23. And I want you to notice as you read this passage how similar it is to what we've been talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5. Those short little phrases that talk about dealing with different groups differently. It says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So Jude says you need some discretion about how you handle each kind of person. But have mercy on those who doubt means that there is a response here that is not angry because people, when they are doubting, may not be uh, being rebellious. Instead, they may just be having sincere questions. So doubts do occur, and the response is have mercy on them. When doubts occur, it's usually not, please hear me, it's usually not a matter of ignorance. That there are just some things we don't know. Now it may be from time to time someone has a doubt and we could say, well, look, have you, have you read this passage? Do you know this about God? But most of the time, doubts are about something else. Something that the doubting need to hear that would help them because they are faint-hearted and need mercy and patience. They need to be encouraged, Paul says. They need to be had mercy on, Jude says. So we need to be prepared to respond to that, not just with anger and not necessarily with a whole bunch of passages, but also with encouragement or comfort. Another way faint-heartedness shows up is the idea of being afraid or anxious. You know, this is when we worry, and sometimes we can even be overcome by our anxiety. I suspect that a lot of us have struggled with this over the last few months, even today, uh, with all the things, that the unrest and the turmoil that's going on in our world. There's so much uncertainty about the future, about this virus, about the state of our society. And so there, there is anxiety that's produced by that. Now, I want to remind you, I know, I know you know this, but I want to remind you that Paul talks about anxiety this way. He says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want, I want you to notice when Paul says this, he's not just saying anxiety is sinful, don't ever do it. What he is saying is anxiety is something to be managed. And there is a process that he describes where we're not anxious, but instead of anxiety, we pray and we let our requests be made known to God. We channel our anxiety into requests. And so that is a, a consistent management that we go through. So we need to take those things to God, but we need to acknowledge that anxiety is a battle that we all fight from time to time, and at times we're going to be overcome by anxiety, and that will make us feel overwhelmed and discouraged. And so Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted, which means that when someone is discouraged because of this anxiety, we don't just tell them to get over it. And we don't just say, well, Jesus says, don't worry. Instead, we encourage them and we acknowledge that sometimes we struggle with anxiety as well. We encourage the faint-hearted. Faint-heartedness sometimes looks like uh, struggling with sin. Sometimes we have a really hard time because we have trouble putting away the things that we are trying to change in our lives. We have come out of the world, we've come out of sin, and sometimes that sin has cut really deep grooves into our lives. And so it's very easy for us and comfortable for us to go back to that sin, and it's hard for us to, to emerge out of it. And when we keep struggling like that, sometimes 
it can just really upset us. It can sap us of strength. It can make us feel faint-hearted. Paul talks about this in Galatians 6 and verse 1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So he says, there are going to be times when someone among the Christians is caught in a transgression. He is struggling with sin. And he says the response is, you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And I want to highlight that, the spirit of gentleness. Encourage them, help them, mend them, teach them, work with them, but do it in a spirit of gentleness. We help the brother out of his sin, but we do it gently. So when someone is struggling with sin, it's going to look like a brother who comes to us with tears in his eyes and he says, I looked at pornography again, and sometimes I feel like I will never get over this. Or someone who approaches us and says, I just can't stop wanting to drink, and I gave in again. Or I just can't quit yelling at my kids. I know I shouldn't, and I'm sorry after I'm done, but it just keeps coming out of me. And so it is not just that they have sinned, but also that they are upset about it. They want to change, and they are struggling in that. And sometimes that struggle can discourage us. And so Paul says, you restore him, you encourage him, you be gentle with him, because he is someone who is faint-hearted. Faint-hearted may look like uh, someone who is dealing with opposition. Sometimes we engage with people who oppose us, and we engage with them so often that it just wears us out. I think that is what the Hebrew writer is referring to in this passage in Hebrews 12 and verse 3. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, he's talking about Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So he says, take Jesus' example. He is somebody who endured so much hostility and opposition, and then you don't let yourself become weary or discouraged in your hearts. So that kind of opposition might look like uh, someone who has opposition from their family, a spiritual opposition, like uh, a mate who doesn't believe, or like a family who opposes my commitment to Jesus, and they say, you think you're too good for us. Or maybe it's just a personal opposition. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with a spiritual side. Maybe it's just a coworker who has it out for you, or a neighbor who just can't stand you, who's a thorn in your side. Maybe it's somebody on social media who just keeps bringing negativity into your life. And sometimes in those relationships, we just can't get away from it. You know, there are people who are going to drag us down, and there's nowhere we can go. We can't sever the ties. You know, we can't just quit our job every time somebody is ugly to us. And we certainly can't just get rid of our family because sometimes they don't treat us right. Paul is teaching us to meet these kinds of needs with compassion and warmth. That is, not just to say to somebody who's struggling with opposition, hey, just get over it. Just don't let him talk to you like that. As if that's really addressing their issue. They are worn out and they are disheartened. And so he says, you encourage them. What I want to emphasize, as you look at that, those, oh, I'm sorry, look at these categories of faint-heartedness is that this is not a knowledge problem. 
So when we address people who are struggling with being discouraged, it's usually not that we need to teach them a bunch of things that they don't already know. It is not a failure necessarily in wanting to do what's right. So because it is not those things, it's going to require a certain approach. It's going to require a kinder, gentler touch. And that's what Paul is trying to stress to us. And that's where I want to go uh, for the rest of our time. That is to ask the question, how do we encourage? There is a specific word that Paul uses here that has that gentler, kinder, kinder feel to it. When we deal with faint-hearted people, he says, you need to encourage them. The word is also translated comfort. In fact, in every major translation I found, it was either encourage or comfort. And the goal of encouraging or comforting is very different from what we talked about last week with admonishing. Admonishing has a warning and a strong nature to it. This is about being kind and warm. So when we talk about how do we encourage, part of this is about our tone. You know, when you're comforting somebody, you talk to them differently. In fact, if you just listen to the, the level of volume, we're going to talk more quietly and more gently, softly, to someone who we're trying to comfort. Think about how you would talk to a wife at her husband's funeral. If you approached this new widow, you would be very careful about what you said. You would talk softly. You would talk kindly. You would acknowledge that she is dealing with a massive burden. And the last thing you would want to do would be to add to her burden in a time like that. Upsetting her, being ugly to her, adding to her burden would be horribly unkind. And we know that instinctively. So I think that we naturally know how to encourage or comfort someone. When someone is down, we know to be gentle to them. But I, just in case it's not natural, and, and whenever I say that something is natural, I, I know that that might cut a little too broadly. So just in case it's not natural, let me help. Let me just specify a few things that would be out of place in encouraging the faint-hearted. It is not encouraging or comforting to tell a tired person, well, you just need to buck up and deal with it. That's life. Life's hard. We all have struggles. You need to get over it. It is not encouraging to tell a doubting person, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Or yeah, you know, Christianity's kind of tough. It's not encouraging to tell an anxious person, you know, Jesus says, don't worry. Do you believe in Jesus or not? It's not encouraging to tell an anxious person, you know, I just don't have a problem with that. I just don't understand. It's not encouraging to tell someone who is struggling with sin, hey, you just need to try harder. You know, I'm sure you'll get over it. Eventually, you'll quit. It's not encouraging to tell somebody who's dealing with opposition, well, that's just your cross to bear. You know, we all have our struggles. You see, in all of those, there's a way that we address people that doesn't really listen to them and doesn't really care about comforting and helping them. It is instead a way we can say something and then move on. And Paul says encourage, which means to speak softly and kindly with them. You remember when Elijah 
is discouraged in 1 Kings 19 after this whole scene on Mount Carmel and he is running for his life from Jezebel and he goes to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai and God talks to him and and the text makes very clear how God deals with a discouraged person. And he specifies that, that there was an earthquake and there was a whirlwind and there was a fire but it says each time, you know, God wasn't in the whirlwind and God wasn't in the earthquake and God wasn't in the fire. And he says, after all of that, there was a still, small voice, or some versions say a a low whisper. And God was speaking to Elijah in the whisper. You know, God could have been real strong, could have come down hard on Elijah. But instead, what he does is he takes a comforting and gentle approach. That's what encouraging means. And I hope that the reason is obvious. The reason that we're gentle, the reason that we're kind is that faint-hearted people are close to losing their faith. And we don't want to be the cause that pushes them over that edge. We want to be careful with them. We want to show kindness and care to them. We want to walk with them back to their rightful place. So that's part of encouraging is about how we talk. But part of encouraging is also about message. What are we saying? What are we trying to communicate that will encourage people? So what I want to share with you for the last couple of minutes here are a few messages that I believe are not only biblically consistent, I think you'll see that, but also I believe if we can communicate this well, it will encourage people. So the first thing that I think is an encouraging thought that we can share with the faint-hearted is just that I love you. See, when we are faint-hearted and we're dealing with stuff, part of our concern is that other people aren't going to love us because we know that we're not whole, we're not doing well, we're not very winsome at the moment. When we're struggling with sin, when we're dealing with opposition, when we're just worn out, we, we know that we're a little less lovable. And for others to affirm that I love you even when you're struggling, I love you even when you've done wrong. I love you even when you're anxious. That we still love. That is a a communication that will help them even when they're not doing well. We encourage by communicating that I understand. There is a danger here. Uh, This passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, is addressed to us as we try to encourage others. And when that happens, and we learn about other people struggling or being discouraged, there is a danger that we will, in hearing their struggles, act as if we don't have any. We may feel that it's our job to restore them. And so, if I'm restoring you, I should be in a position of strength. I should be the stable one. I should be the secure one. And that's especially dangerous for those of us who are uh, looked to as leaders, elders and deacons and preachers we can communicate without even really intending to. That, you know, those kinds of things are beneath us. We are the people who help people who struggle with that. You see, we're we're above it. It will be encouraging for us to stress the commonality of our experiences. I understand because I have been there. In fact, I may even be there at the moment. I have struggled too. My growth has not been perfectly linear. Instead, I've bounced up and down, 
I've been in good places and bad places. And what this communicates is that, of course, the idea that, that there's no temptation that's not common to man. That all of us struggle with the same things. And that's important because sometimes we give the impression in congregations that everybody has their act together and we're all doing fine. But not only that, it also communicates, when we say we understand, that being discouraged doesn't need to mean that my faith is over. Instead, it can just be a part of growth because I'm still here. I understand, I've been there, but I'm still here. And it tells others that there is a path forward, which can be encouraging when we are worried that there's not. How do we encourage? We can say and communicate that there is more than what you are feeling. I hope that we've all experienced this. I suspect that we have. But when we are in a position where we are doubting or we are discouraged or we are worried, it's really hard for us to see anything but what's right in front of us. It's hard for us to see the future. It's hard for us to hear other perspectives. It's hard for us to do anything but stare at our problems. And I can encourage people by reminding them that what you're feeling is not the whole story. There is more to the picture. I can encourage someone that the Lord can help you grow past this sin. You don't have to be stuck. And then I can ask something like, would you like for us to make a plan about how we can beat this? I know you're tired. I get it. I've been tired too. Let's get together and talk about it. Sometimes it helps me to take a break from the situation and talk to somebody else. I have doubts too. But why don't you tell me what, what you think is the most powerful thing about what you do believe? What are you sure of? And I can encourage them by directing their attention to something besides just what is discouraging them in the moment. I'm sorry you're down. I've been down too. But you know what I've discovered is very often God uses those times when we're down to help us grow and become something different. Where do you think you'd like to grow? How might this help you in the future? Or maybe it's just as simple as saying, you know, I get what you're feeling. Let's pray about it. Let's talk to God. But the idea here is that we are encouraging by helping our brothers snap out of their myopia where all it is is what's right in front of them. And to begin to see, you've got a lot of people who have been through a lot who can help you and who care about you. You've got a future. You've got hope. You've got other blessings that you might not be noticing right now. And I can encourage you by redirecting your attention to other things. Especially I can stress, this is not a permanent state. You may feel anxious now, but you probably won't feel the same level of anxiety in a few months. So let's focus on what we can do now to get stronger. How do we encourage? We communicate, don't give up. We can do that by stressing, you know, we're in this together. We can overcome this side by side. I am going to be with you. I'm going to check on you. We're going to talk together. We're going to meet together. And we will walk together through this. We can help encourage people not to give up by, by stressing all the good that we see in them. What are the positive traits and our brothers and sisters, what can we say that's going to encourage them to continue to serve? I'm so thankful for your passion for the Lord. I'm so thankful for the way you lead your family. 
I'm so thankful for your sincerity. The Lord is using you. There is so much good you are doing. Don't give up. We need you. The Lord needs you. The cause needs you. You can do this and God can help you through this and you are strong. Don't give up. We're with you. Perhaps most importantly, we can encourage by communicating that it's worth it. The struggle at the heart of discouragement is we wonder whether following Jesus is really worth the trouble. And this is how we see the tension between what we see in Scripture and what we see in life, between what we wish was true and what we see is true, between disappointment and desire. And Paul talks about it this way. He talks about it as a comparison. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So you've got sufferings on one hand and you've got glory on the other. Suffering is where we are. Glory is where we will be. When we're discouraged, we focus on the suffering. But we have to remember that there's something that's not worth comparing to what we're going through right now. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4. It's the same idea. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. A weight of glory beyond comparison. It's beyond what we're experiencing and seeing. The affliction that we're in isn't worth comparing to it. So I can turn my brothers and sisters' attention to where we are headed instead of just where we are. That we are headed to a world where there is justice and peace and love in their purest forms. And there are no more tears and there's no more doubt and there's no more anxiety where faith becomes sight, where we never get tired, where we never struggle with sin, where we see Jesus face to face. And you know, when that happens... There's no comparison to what we're experiencing now. So don't give up. It's worth it. And then the last thing I want to say is we can encourage by communicating, let me help you. In the meantime, what can I do? I don't want this to just be a conversation where I say, you know, I'm sorry you're down. Wish you the best. I'll be praying for you. What more can I do? How can I work with you? How can I check on you? What can we study about and discuss? How can we serve together? Is there a way that we can break you out of this malaise that you're in in the moment? And I think especially we need to be aware of how we can do things and in doing, we can gain some strength and courage. And so we can help work our brothers and sisters out of their discouragement. I hope you see that there is a lot in this verse about encouraging the faint-hearted. But what the verse shows me, this phrase, is that fellow Christians are the front lines. We are the encouragers. And we are the ones that God intends to spot the problem and to head it off. To say, I see this brother or this sister. They're not doing well. They seem to be discouraged and to act. So that means we're going to need to be willing to look around and see how others are doing. It means we may need to ask questions that seem a little personal. And especially in a time like this, we may not be able to look around physically, but we may have to use our phones and try to figure out how is everybody doing? Not just how are you doing physically, but also how are you doing in your relationship with Jesus? 
This verse also reminds me that we need to be open and honest with one another about the fact that sometimes we struggle. That I struggle and you struggle and we all deal with things and that we need one another. That they need to know that sometimes I struggle and I need to know sometimes that they are struggling. So, I challenge you to take the time and make the effort to encourage the faint-hearted. Would you pray with me about that? It will be done for our time tonight. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for this time that you've blessed us with. You've given us your word, Father, and it always teaches us and challenges us and helps us to grow. Father, we are thankful that you have loved us so much that you sent your son for us. We're thankful for the hope that you've laid out through him that someday we can live with you in eternity, that we can live free from the difficulties and afflictions that are part of our life here. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to renew ourselves in that hope. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to grow stronger as a body and a group of believers together. Father, we're challenged uh, by this text and these ideas. Uh, We know from time to time we all battle uh, this discouragement. We know we're not all what we should be at all times. And sometimes, Father, we, we share those things together. And we don't know the best way to help each other. Father, I pray that you'll help us to show kindness and love, to encourage. Help us, Father, to be the kind of people who want to communicate your love to one another, who want to help each other, even when sometimes we are not perfect and we're not good enough, that we don't give up on each other, that we don't dismiss one another, that we're not harsh. Help us, Father, to have a heart for one another and to help. And Father, I pray for those who I'm sure are a part of our group who are discouraged right now. I pray, Father, that you will help them to have the strength that they need to go forward, to continue to believe in you and to serve you. And I pray that as their brothers and sisters, we will be aware of their need and that we'll reach out to help, that we will encourage them in every way we can. Father, help us to be a group that is willing to share our weaknesses and needs, to be authentic and sincere, and to tell others and share with others where we might need help so that, Father, we can minister to each other and bear one another's burdens. Continue to watch over us, Father. Be with our elders. Give them wisdom. Help them as they make decisions about uh, how to handle all the things that are going on about this virus. Be with our leaders of our nation. I pray that you'll give them wisdom as they deal with uh, a very difficult situation in our society. And I pray that you'll help all of us, Father, to be a light to those around us in our everyday lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.